Welcome to Newborn to Teen and Everything in Between, the podcast from Bespoke Family. I'm Bex. And I'm Claire. Thanks for joining us as we tackle the ups and downs of life with children, helping you to get the best out of your time together. No rules, no judgment, just guidance. So grab a cuppa and let's get started with today's episode. Hi and welcome to our podcast and we're really delighted to have uh, Mr. Mr. Howard, as I know him, Mr. Andrew Howard, Andrew, um, who, <laughs> Andrew yeah, um, to talk with us about uh, gender and sexuality, something that Claire and I don't know a lot about. So hello and welcome, Andrew. Hello. Hi. It's a, it's a real honour, I think, to be asked to do to do anything, to be considered a... Uh, a source of information or anything so thank you very very much for having me here no it's great um and i know you through through your role at my children's school so yeah. um yeah maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what you do and your role at school yeah absolutely so um at a, a school in a secondary school in bristol um i am pshe lead along with my colleague um so for anyone that, that hasn't heard of PSHE before, that's Personal Social Health and Economic Education. Um, it's kind of, I think, almost the easiest way to describe it is all of the stuff that when you leave school, you wish you'd learnt about. Um, so our remit kind of covers gender and sexuality, sexual harassment, discrimination, financial decision making, contraception. It kind of goes on. Um, but yeah, obviously, the area of focus today is, is gender and sexuality. I'm also um, a specialist religious studies teacher at school, um, which is how I know your daughter. Okay, great. So, well, we probably ought to kick off with maybe the sort of most simple of questions. But what is gender and sexuality? I mean, what does that mean, really? Yeah, I don't really have much of a complicated answer to that, which is probably a good thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> but just quite a sh- just quite a short answer is that gender is your um is your identity so the gender that you identify with so i for instance am a cisgender man so i identify as male and if you identify as a woman that would be your gender identity or you might be non-binary um or you might be kind of gender fluid so you might move between those gender identities throughout your lifetime as a lot of our pupils do to be honest um whereas sexuality i think should be considered uh, as something irrelevant almost to your gender, there might be kind of correlations sometimes between uh, between your gender identity and your sexuality. Um, but your sexuality is who you are attracted to. So just to summarise, gender is what you identify as, man, woman, non-binary. Sexuality is who you are attracted to, man, woman, non-binary. So you could be heterosexual, same-sex attracted, or bisexual, or Again, moving between them sometimes. Okay. Did that come across complicated? <laughs> no, 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 not at all, okay. actually. It actually came across really easy and kind of makes a huge amount of sense. Okay, cool. So when you, when you say non-binary, that yes. means neither man, male or female? Yeah, so binary is uh, is one or the other. That's what, that's what binary means. So non-binary means you don't subscribe to one or the other. You're somewhere in between. So now we know what gender and sexuality <laughs> means. Yeah. Why is it important to educate children about gender and sexuality? And, you know, how do you do that in schools? And the, because um, I know that Amy um, has just given me the list of, you know, the different types of gender and the different types of sexuality. And it seems endless. And, you know, so yeah. keen to learn a bit more about that. Yeah, and to be honest, it sounds like um, she might know more about the specificities than I do. Um, we almost have a little bit of an approach uh, at our school, I suppose, which is if you know if you know what gender is and gender identity is, and you know what sexuality is, then within those camps, anything goes. You know, so sometimes I have have kids coming to me and being like, "Oh, I've heard that there's fifty six genders," and my kind of response is like, okay, you know, like it's it's down to the person ultimately, isn't it? It's down to the person what or, or who they identify as. Um, 
So I don't really go too much into the prescriptions and specificities of fine gradings, if you like. Um, why why is it important? Um, I think um, I think it's it's ultimately about preventing discrimination a lot of the time. Um, in my role as as PSHE lead co-lead along with my colleague uh, we have witnessed so much um, particularly transphobia as well as as homophobia in our school um, and I think it it ruins lives um, which is quite a kind of tragic way of putting it um, and in that setting in school that can shape a lot of the rest of your life it's kind of your fundamental formative social relations with one another with the society it's a microcosm of society um so if we can make sure that we're well um well informed and not discriminating against one another in that setting then i think that's going to have a really lasting effect into into the rest of life into society um yeah do you find that you have to educate teachers on the topic as well? Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, and we have done. And I think that our school is actually really good for that. We um, we have kind of skilled ourselves up a lot in terms of, uh, in terms of talking about this. We have whole school um, CPD or, or training during inset around um, gender and sexuality. We had another one quite recently, actually. Um, and we have departmental level um, training on it within the PSHE department as well um, but yeah I do think that there is a more of a kind of upskilling I suppose uh, across across society and certainly in public institutions um, and different service providers around gender particularly as well as sexuality and what that often means is that there is some fallout you know so when we do that, there's a lot of kind of splinter conversations and a realization that, oh, we need to do kind of more of this. Um, so it's a process. But yes, I would say that we, we have needed to um, to upskill everyone. You know, I myself included, I didn't walk into my role knowing all that there is to know about gender and sexuality. It was almost a kind of, um, it was a responsive aspect, you know, when, when we started getting disclosures around around transphobia and, and homophobia, we responded to them and that led to more conversations and that led to more learning. But like you say, it sounds like you can't really know everything about it because actually it's, you know, it's so broad um, and, and people can decide. And I think that's what some people struggle with is that mm. people can just decide what they want to identify with. And, you know, that that kind of people go, oh, they don't mm. understand it because of that. So um, I see what you're saying, but I also slightly refuse it because I don't think that you need to know lots. I would bring it back just down to those two definitions. Gender is what gender you identify as um, and sexuality is is what uh, or who you are attracted to. Um, and... You don't really need to to know anymore. I, I guess it helps to be inclusive and to realise that we all, not technically, but most of us, identify as a gender. Um, and that's quite a kind of simple inroad into it. You know, like, I identify as a man, or actually even I'm so privileged that I've barely had to consider my gender identity. It's just kind of, I've intuited it. Um, so when, you know, like we do things at school, like on our PSHE booklets at the bottom, after you put your name and your class and your teacher, we've started putting preferred pronouns just so that, you know, everyone is saying these are the pronouns that I use. And that's a kind of, that's a universal way of accessing gender identity and realizing that people can be different genders and that's fine. And I don't think you need to know about the fine gradings of them there's um there's a basic ethos which i think really helps to think about particularly gender identity as well as sexuality which is that all people um 
so we could talk more specifically about young people and children but all people have a right to explore their identity all people have a right to explore their identity and very few people can <laughs> or would disagree with that and that's quite a nice way to just to hinge everything on I suppose it's no different to, we encourage that whole development of personality and likes and dislikes and what children are good at, what children may find more tricky. That's what makes them who they are. And this is just an aspect of that that doesn't need to be made into a kind of, it's, it's part of who they are and how they feel. And so it's, not overly yeah. kind of thinking that through and just accepting that this is what they are working out and who yeah. they are and what their world looks like, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is a little bit of a of a fine balance um between this idea of uh of what is and what is explored. Um I'll, I'll come back to that in a second, but this this idea of choice or decision um, as a school, and I think all people generally should, uh, stay away from referring to gender or sexuality as a decision or a choice because to the people that are experiencing um, different, like transgender um, identity issues, that's not how it feels. You know, it, it kind of is who you are. But at the same time, we also need to appreciate that it's subject to change um, as the way things do. You know, like when I was a teenager, I was unsure about my own sexuality. I sort of, uh, I suppose I started to explore my sexuality slightly. It didn't last long because I've been with my current um, uh, partner, female partner, for since I was 16. So <laughs> it didn't last long. But, you know, people can and have the right to explore their identity at the same time as expecting that people can just appreciate that it's it's who they are and it's not mm. a choice. Um, which is that that's one of the more difficult things that I think that kind of balance of I need to appreciate that this is who you are. It's not a choice. It's not a decision. And know that it's okay if it changes. I think when we approach you to kind of do this podcast is that we've had so many parents and carers and just general conversations actually seem to have been happening where everybody is so conscious of what can you say what can't you say not wanting to cause yeah. offense and I think that's what's probably making these conversations even harder because we, yes. you know, Bex and I even said before we came, like, we've probably been thinking this one through more because it's like, how do we approach it? What do we say? And part of me worries that having spoken to some parents is these conversations aren't happening because they don't want them to happen in case they get it wrong or there's something. Yeah. And I think how how would you say for a parent to approach these conversations? Because I think in school there's those you you know you have the curriculum but you also have that much open you know you've got other children and you can have those conversations I think when you're in a home and it's just you and your child and you're hearing all this how would you kind of suggest those conversations take place I um I, I, I worry that this sounds a little bit woolly and and throw away but um I think it's it's listening it's ultimately be ready to to be wrong be humble and kind of listen to to what uh, the person that you're talking to, if, if they are experiencing something or if they um, are have more information, just be ready to be like, okay, this is something I don't really know about. Be curious and ask questions. I think that, yeah, that fragility that you're talking about, it, it definitely is a thing, but from my experience um members of the lgbt community are actually incredibly forgiving and understanding as long as the people that are asking the questions are are doing so in earnest and are ready to ready to learn you know they're kind of open to what's happening um i'll give you an instance uh well several instances where someone might have a preferred name 
in school we have this quite a lot we have pupils that have um have changed their their preferred name and they'll um they'll let me know sometimes it will be on the register sometimes it won't that depends on the family context a lot of the time um and i'll get it wrong you know i'll get it wrong uh especially if it's not on the register uh and as long as i go i'm sorry and correct myself there's there's very little harm done as opposed to if i went oh and i just kind of ignored it you know that's where the damage is it's the kind of um yeah it's being able to to get it wrong and be sorry and be humble that um that i think is the strength for teachers for parents for anyone that that doesn't necessarily know um so i guess that's kind of step one um and then Step two, I suppose, is a bit more proactive and uh, and going places to to find out more information. If if you're curious, uh, I know that there's a couple of sources that I'm going to reference later, but I can I can reference them now, seeing as it's come up. Um, two sources that we use loads in our curriculum um, are Off the Record, which are a Bristol-based charity. Um, for and by young people in Bristol, they are they are absolutely fantastic. They they kind of cover a full range of things from uh, gender and sexuality to self injury to mental health issues, and um, they've got a really lovely website where it has specified information for people that are experiencing gender and sexuality uh, sexuality explorations and parents. Um, there's also Brooke, which I think is fantastic. Um, have you heard of Brooke before? Yeah. They kind of, yeah, sex um, sex and relationships education charity. Um, and there's loads of people's individual experiences and stories, like blog posts written on there, which I think is, um, is a really good way of learning. You know, if anyone's actually earnestly curious and wants to find out more and they want to do more than just be able to listen to someone and be able to be wrong, then I would suggest going and and finding out more from either of those two places or more. It's hard, isn't it? Because if a parent of, I mean, and I think this goes a bit deeper really in terms of people's feelings about things. So if a parent, for example, is homophobic, how can we help the children to approach those kind of, or transphobic or, you know, not willing to accept the 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 way that their child is feeling how can we just you know go about trying to change that attitude and 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 also make it a bit more positive because you know people going home might not be themselves thinking about what they are or you know Mm. that kind of thing but Mm. um but they might be curious about it as well. So it might not be that they're talking about themselves even, but if you suddenly go home and you go home to a really kind of prejudice environment, how how do the children cope with that kind of situation? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I haven't been on, on either end of that dynamic. Um, I do know parents that have, um, that have, uh, children that are transitioning or exploring their, their their gender and to be quite honest with you no matter my kind of theoretical confidence uh, around these issues um, I think it must be a real challenge uh, as a parent if um, if your child decides that they actually want to change their name and their pronouns and you know having you know, if you're a mother giving birth to that to that child and raise them, um, I I honestly can't imagine what that must be like. There must be a, a massive challenge there, and I think that can actually not be uh, related to any inert homophobia or transphobia. I think you can still have a massive hurdle, a massive challenge there, even if you're incredibly uh, you know pro um, and uh, pro and allied with the lgbt community um if if they are homophobic and transphobic this feels like a bit of of a get out but uh like the law 
um yeah like refer back to the law we have we have an equality act 2010 it lists nine protected characteristics for which it is um it is illegal to treat people differently for that includes hate speech um gender identity and sexuality are two of those nine protected characteristics so there's one of the kind of um approaches that we have educationally is we are going to try and uh, educate people to accept, you know, things like we all, we can all agree that everyone has the right to explore their identity. Okay, great. We all agree that we all agree that it's, um, it's unfair to treat people differently based on characteristics, particularly ones that they can't choose. You know, that's fundamentally unfair, right? We get that. And then we kind of go a bit more on to, well, if you don't, if you can't accept, then there is the law and we can't reach our hands into people's brains and change the way they think, but we can expect people to follow the law. It's um, There's a nice kind of uh, analogy that one of my colleagues used, and I should mention, by the way, there's so many other colleagues in my school that could could be doing this, this podcast <laughs> instead of me, but our, um, our designated safeguarding lead, he's, he's absolutely amazing. Um, and he has lots of these conversations with lots of pupils. And he'll say something like, um, you're allowed to wave your arms around. You're allowed to flail your arms around as violently as you like. But the moment that you come into contact with someone else, that becomes harmful and violent and you can't do that. So that's kind of like, you know, we're going to try and make you accept. But if not, these are the rules. I don't know if that helps. (laughs) No, it does. Yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah, it it does. I mean, I think it doesn't help in terms of if you're in that position necessarily, if you're facing, you know, that kind of challenge yourself. I think the whole country and the world has got a long way to go to actually change the way that people think um, and Mm. open their minds. But I think probably one of the things I would probably say is, and what I've been hearing is, and this is, maybe the older generations so generation from us up maybe um and to like grandparents Mm. and things like that we didn't have this education in our our schooling this wasn't something you know it was when you think back even to what you cover now in that topic we didn't even have any of that we had Mm. like a basic sex education for like i think it was a week and that was it um and none of these were really explored I think education has massively changed and I would say we have an awareness and we make you know I'm having conversations with my you know godchildren who are all teens and they're you know chatting away and I'm like yeah and I'm listening and I'm taking but I think sometimes there's those moments where someone says oh that didn't you know that wasn't a case when I was younger and it's sort of switches off those conversations and I think that's really tricky I think it's or we just don't understand and it's like well you're gonna have to kind of learn to understand and accept that you know this is something that our children are learning about and we have to kind of meet that I suppose yeah and I think the allies and the LGBT community um should but also are incredibly patient um and accept that people have been um or have not spoken about these things have been raised their whole lives they might even be you know over 50 years old and just you know like imagine if you'd lived your whole life and then someone told you like and and now this and you know i i get that kind of reticence that sort of oh it's it's another thing now and it makes you feel um probably a bit behind and unconfident and that can lead to people becoming defensive um so i I do actually think from knowing a lot of pupils in our school and knowing a, a lot of people in the lgbt community that they are accepting of that and they're patient and as long as people are ready to listen and aren't defensive because defensiveness is hard to deal with then that's okay it is going to be a slow process and I think the kind of um, 
the history is also really interesting um, because I do I do fundamentally believe that we've had um, transgender people from the dawn of time you know um, there's there's an ancient history in in India of um, of transgender peoples um, I just think it's it's having those conversations that leads to more people going oh I like I that encourages me to explore my gender and more conversations leads to more fallout and more transphobia as well, sadly. But that feels sort of like the wheel of progress. You know, the fact that we're here having this conversation, the fact that people are having debates, I think it is part of change and development. He won't mind me saying it, but um, my dad is gay and he's like 70, what is he, 76 or something? And actually, when I was born in 1969... It, it was illegal you know being gay was yeah. illegal he's a vicar you know as well yeah. so you know a gay vicar in 1969 it just wasn't wow. happening and you know you think like you talk about the history you know people have actually grown up um you know our grandparents and our, our parents and things they grow grew up in an era when it was illegal and so if it was illegal it was wrong yeah. um and that you know Dad, I think my dad, you know, went to see his bishop and said, I think I'm gay. And he was like, you're not, don't be so ridiculous, you know, and and had to kind of just forget about it, really. Um, obviously, you know, met my mum and, you know, had us and, you know, we obviously we're all very grateful mm. for that. But, mm. but you know, he he isn't, you know, he is openly gay now. He lives with his husband and, you know, mm. that's all, you know, that's fine. But that's really, you know, that's quite a... When you talk step. about history, that really goes, you know, that that I think that has a lot. There's a lot to say for that because there's lots and lots of people in ancient history that yeah. that would have hidden it. You know, there's yeah. lots of yeah. I don't know if it's the right time uh, to mention. I won't spend long too long talking about it. But I went to the theatre last night um, to see Birthmarked at the Bristol Old Vic, which is a um, a man's story about. Uh, being a Jehovah's Witness um, and discovering that he was gay uh, and telling his community and being disfellowed, as as is the term in amongst Jehovah's Witnesses, and losing his family and a lot of the play is essentially entirely autobiographical, uh, was a big kind of like, I'm a good person, can you, like, <laughs> can you drop the... The, uh, the homophobia and um, and like see me again um, and his, his parents have accepted him and they've actually rejected they've rejected the church his, uh, his grandmother that actually got the whole family into the church before she died um, rejected the church as well um, so yeah it was just it's just an amazing tale this, this is still going on today it's, this is six years mm. ago that he uh, he came out to Jehovah's Witnesses so it is still there. Um, I guess it's uh, it's an incredibly powerful thing, you know. If you have been told your whole life that this is wrong, you know, like like your grandfather would have been in uh, in the sixties, then mm -hmm. yeah, no, my that's dad. Gonna, that's, that's how old leave. I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my dad. Eh? Sorry, yeah. sorry. No, no, no. no it's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You obviously look really young, Bex. <laughs> I know, that's it. Thanks, Andrew. I'm just obviously <laughs> looking very young. It's my grandfather, yeah. So. I think it's it's interesting. Someone was telling me a story about with their teenager and it was interesting that there was the conversations of a daughter and she actually questioned, she's a teenager now, and she questioned, she said, why is it that everyone always asks if I have a boyfriend? And she said, and everyone mm. kind of goes, oh, have you got a boyfriend? And she said, but no one ever asks if I've got a girlfriend. Because that was a generational thing. That every, and you still hear it now. It's like, you know, little ones come home from school and they're like, I've got a boyfriend. And it's like, oh, oh you've got a boyfriend. And it's very kind of, it was so interesting for her to say, why don't you ask about me just having a girlfriend yeah. or a boyfriend? And I, just, and I was... That is the incredible part of teenagers, I think, because they have mm. this ability to just go, why? Explain to me. And actually, it made the parents sit back and go, you know what? That's a really good question. 
that is mm. actually you know something that we need to think about it is but it's also not anything to feel guilty about either mm-hmm. you know like i i think that's that feeds into this fragility idea which i i feel like we kind of started on and has has been a little bit of a rolling theme the confidence of parents and, and people that don't feel like they know um and being scared to ask and being scared to go, get it wrong I, it's really important to to have gender inclusive language and you know if you can say have you got a partner or romantic interest rather than be gendered about it but at the same time like we have been gender programmed forever uh like it's just it's just natural you know that like sorry it's not it's not natural but it's uh it's incredibly entrenched and inherent in us you know just little things like animals always use he pronouns like dogs are he's and just things little things like that we've just kind of been programmed and that's going to take a really really long time to to wear off and i think we need to accept that it's going to take a really long time to wear off and have those conversations and and be ready to get it wrong and and have conversations about why it's wrong and like like this uh, young person said well why do we have that like that is a progressive conversation isn't it mm. it means that the next time it gets considered it might not be gender inclusive the next time but at least it's kind of been considered so yeah i just i think that there needs to be a lot of acceptance around um getting it wrong essentially that's really reassuring <laughs> yeah isn't it yeah <laughs> it is because i think yeah. that is the biggest thing around any of the conversations we've been having with people is the worry of getting it wrong and i mm. have to say listen but- you know listening to conversations that bex and rich have with the children around the dinner table they're just the best conversations because there's so much discussion Mm. and you know if that could be happening all the time but it is because everyone brings some different piece of information or knowledge and there isn't there is an acceptance of getting it wrong like the children know that bex and rich might get it wrong (laughs) Mm. yeah but uh, yeah i mean it's essential isn't it because the the alternative to to getting it wrong or accepting that you might get it wrong is defensiveness and that's where things go really wrong i think and you get locked into kind of attritional non-progressive discussions where people end up getting hurt and and yeah yeah i think i think it is ultimate i think it is hard for when when you see that kind of um discrimination it is hard not to get cross though i think i do find it quite hard to get to not get cross but like you say that kind Mm. of is defensiveness on the other side um yeah you both have to be open don't you you can't it can't it isn't just down to the people that don't understand um to to not be defensive it's down to both sides really i mean that is it's one of the hardest things i think in um in a school setting is kind of a getting the balance right between well is that intentionally offensive or is it earnest um normally intuitively we know but from a kind of behavioral system point of view it's quite hard to go that's earnest or that's intentionally offensive we kind of go in from well, I'm assuming you don't know. So we have to educate. And educate is is the power around there. And the other difficult thing which follows on from that is having the educational approach and trying to have our pupils have the educational approach as opposed to the hostile defense response approach. So I would say even more of a problem um, with this is is race in school and when things uh, when people get things wrong with, with race they are termed a racist and the conversation just moves no further and it becomes quite heated. Uh, You know, we have similar things with all forms of discrimination, especially transphobia, but that's the one that kind of sticks out most. And it's just, it's a loss for everyone if it ends up there. It should be a conversation, not about why someone is racist, but why something could be considered racist or transphobic for the sake of uh, our topic today. Mm -hmm. Um, the moment where you kind of label and defend it's gone you know it just it just gets worse 
So how do people, so children, teenagers, parents, and, you know, let's hope understanding grandparents, etc., um, go support about supporting somebody who feels that they're kind of not that, you know, they're exploring their sexuality or their gender. And yeah. Um, again, I, I, I feel like the risk of sounding kind of woolly and wishy washy, but, um, but listen and be accepting and ask questions and be ready to be wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like uh, I could probably elaborate on those points more, but I think they're yeah they're succinct enough. I think they're simple enough. It's funny, isn't it? I think actually we probably think to ourselves there's more that we should be doing, but actually it is. There's quite a lot of almost passive support that you can do without having to kind of you know you don't have to worry. I think that's kind of for me that's what's come out of this podcast. You don't actually have to worry about how you say things or the questions you ask as long as you're respectful in the way that you do yes. it it doesn't actually yeah. really matter yeah absolutely um and i think as well talking talking to other people about it um which comes from from having that kind of slight more lack of uh, sorry slightly more confidence and slightly slightly less worried about getting it wrong um like you know if 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 you are a parent and one of your pupils is um, is exploring their gender and sexuality, the best person to talk to, apart from your child, is going to be another parent that has experienced something similar. And then I think once it becomes slightly normalised, then it's like, oh, right, okay, yeah. They're still my child. I, I can talk to this person about it. I understand it's not just this unique thing that only... I'm experiencing as a parent, but millions of people have experienced mm-hmm. and are experiencing right now. That can be quite normalizing. Um, I'm just searching my head for how you would do that, um, and I don't actually have I don't actually have a source. I know that I know that Brooke have loads of different stories from people that are transitioning. Um, I'm not so sure that they've got stories from parents of people that are transitioning. Um, off the record, definitely have advice for parents. Um, and they've got a little bit on their website around LGBTQ. But um, I know that they would be more useful if, if someone was to get in touch. For sure. Yeah, and we can um, certainly in our show notes at the end, we can kind of find out, find some more um links and things that people can and books and things that people yeah. can look at but I mean I think the last thing for me and I don't know about Claire but the last thing for me is about kind of the terminology that you should be using around things and I know you say don't you know it's fine to get it wrong but what do you it's also great to get it right yeah exactly <laughs> where, where I mean where do you start and that's the thing is this you know there's so many different yeah. things it just feels almost overwhelming I have to say that okay Okay. Um, have you got any examples or any leading points? Well, like you called yourself right at the beginning, cisgen, cis. Yeah. Was it cis male? I was that... So yeah, okay, so, so cis... that I don't know. I first I would never call. Would I call myself cis female? Well, you don't know, do you? Because cisgender. Cis cisgender. Cis, yeah. So cisgender is, uh, I suppose, the opposite, if you like, to transgender. It's someone that identifies uh, as the same gender that they were biologically born as so one thing we haven't discussed is is the difference between and i'm really concerned now about taking us uh, more of course but the difference between sex and gender sex being biologically male female what reproductive system were you born with Mm -hmm. and gender being man woman you know for instance having a short back and sides and um liking football has nothing to do with your reproductive system, but it does often have quite a lot to do with your gender. So that that is one of the first things we teach kids when they come in our school. So cisgender is when you are male and man or female and woman. And transgender is when it's it's not. It's something different. Okay. That's a that good first start. bit of terminology. Yeah. Um I guess things 
to get to get wrong. Um, gay is fine for referring to sexuality as long as it's not in a derogatory term. If it's used in a derogatory term, it's normally quite clear when it is. Mm-hmm. Then it's homophobia. Um, the T slur gets used quite a lot, sadly, for uh, for um, for transitioning people, uh, which I will say di- under discretion, it means tranny. So that's a little bit in the ether, um, but I'd say more significant and most significant type of uh, of transphobia that we experience is deliberate dead naming. So when someone has a uh, a preferred name, refusing to use it and using their old name, that's called dead naming. Uh, it's quite nice to have a name for it because you mm. can say, "Oh, that's what you're doing." There. I don't know if you're meaning to do it intentionally, but this is why it's offensive. Um, or deliberately misusing pronouns. So we, unfortunately, we're experiencing a lot of this at the moment because it is kind of one of those, you know, when you're trying to ascertain is it earnest and accidental or is it deliberately mm-hmm. uh, offensive. It's a very hard thing to get right so that's why you go in from the point of view of oh you must not know so I'm, I'm going to educate um, other than that other bits of terminology I don't know no I mean I think that to be honest that was really useful because I think even I mean and you know as time goes on and you explore it more and you talk to more people about it then you learn more don't you I mean that's the thing that's that's the whole beauty of it um as long as you're open and yeah yeah um I guess the last thing that I'd say is some people are kind of you know when we say LGBT plus um lesbian, gay, bisexual, those are sexuality. That's to do with who you're attracted to. And T, trans, uh, transgender, is your is your gender identity. So some of the time people are actually like, well, really they should be different because they are, they are separate things. Um, but there's a lot of solidarity, I would say, between, um, between transgender people and uh, bisexual and homosexual people. But what about things, so I'm just thinking what I've had, kind of my teenage godchildren and everyone, things like pansexual, and then they start to just say yes, okay. lots, lots of different, and I'm like, oh, okay, just explain that to me, you know, so I don't get it wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. so um, pansexual is, it's kind of, you can be attracted to man, woman, um, which might be same-sex attracted, but you can also be attracted to non-binary people. So it's kind of, uh, it's respecting that it's it's not binary. It's a, essentially, pansexual is a person's way of saying, I'm, I don't really care about gender. I can be attracted to anyone, absolutely anyone. Um yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. probably the best way of describing pansexual. Okay. I feel like there's probably people that are pansexual that would say otherwise. Um, any others? Oh, I, need I mean, you could thing. go. You could go as far as talking about parents that identify their child as something before they can identify themselves. Is that too much of a tricky thing to talk about? Elaborate slightly more. Well, you know, so for example, if somebody has a child and they say that then perhaps they're biologically male um but they mm. don't name them as a biological i see i feel like i'm getting it wrong now they don't call them a biological male but they kind of say that they're i don't know what you call it they gender as they their gender pronouns neutral. would be they yes oh so do you mean parents raising raising their children gender neutral mm. yes i think i do yeah okay um sorry oh, wow yeah so that's a i'm i'm fascinated by this because in a way i'm kind of like as a as a recent parent as well um i think it would be great if our infants could just explore from the off uh before they kind of get programmed because we all we all get kind of gender programmed i would say um 
just the way that we are treated, not even by members of our family, you know, by by everyone in society. It just kind of affirms that identity, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does leave you wondering what if there wasn't any of that programming? What would the kind of raw Mm. gender identity be? Um, which I suppose the only way of of doing is is to raise gender neutral. But I just think it's really difficult. Mm. <laughs> I think it's particularly from a family point of view, um, like you are making your life as a parent and your child's life quite awkward from the off, which is a kind of tragic and apologetic thing to submit to, to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to raise gender neutral because the world's not ready for that you know the infrastructure is not there but at the same time it's just it's just hard yeah, <laughs> it's just hard yeah. to go i'm going to do that i think i i do have a lot of respect for for parents that are like yeah i'm going to do it but also a bit like i i don't think i could set my child up for that let alone myself yeah. you know I, like i would like hopefully raise them as the gender that matches their biological sex. So my, my one-year-old is is a boy. Um, he was born with testicles. <laughs> um, and create an environment for him where he feels able to explore that. You know, I, that would be my kind of, my own approach, you know, when yeah. he gets to an age where he might be exploring more. And just all the steps along the way, making sure that we are not too gendered in our parenting. But it's it's crazy, isn't it, in a way? Because gender reveal parties and yeah. have become huge. Goose, yeah. And they're all over social media and it's this whole pink and blue thing. And, and you just yeah. think, wow, that's that's taking off. And so it's, yeah. it's so, so strange that you try and, you know, we're trying to come, you know, slightly away from that kind of very definitely the pink and blue thing but it's yeah. still very strong isn't it that are you having a girl or a boy and yeah and then it suddenly kind of kicks into that but if that's kind of taking off it's such a interesting yeah. concept i you know i think i am i'm just um uh curious slightly bemused i suppose about about that uh phenomenon but also it's it's fine you know like it, it's people can't moving to a kind of a more um transgender accepting world does not mean that people can't be fiercely man and masculine or fiercely woman and feminine that like that is part of gender as well and i think it's absolutely fine like infants don't really know their gender do they and I personally, from my own point of view, would like to raise my child in a in as possible a gender neutral way as possible, whilst still calling him he him. But at the same time, the family's you know that's within that's family choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's that's for public scorn, really. Um, yeah, if it's what they want. Well, to and do. it's also about exposing your child to as many different things not necessarily just always saying if we go out we have to go to something that is traditionally a male pursuit or you know that kind of because you know having had a boy and girl twin they were brought up doing exactly the same things as in they were exposed to exactly the same things ben is obsessed with cars and amy's obsessed with reading books and you know doing that kind of thing that Ben would yeah. absolutely hate to do but they have been given the same opportunities and so I think yeah, yeah in the end if you do do it in a way that is exposing them to everything you possibly can they will find their own way eventually and yeah. you'll see the results of that and it might be that it's what you would class as traditionally something yeah. for a male to do or which, a female which, to do. which I think a lot of the time is uh, like a liberal parent's experience, I, I kind of am preempting that it will be my experience as well. You know, mm. look at all these things that you can do, <laughs> particularly, um, particularly his mum as well. You know, we can pick flowers in baskets and do colouring and things, and it's right and good that he's exposed to that. But at the same time, he really likes trucks and cars. <laughs> 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 but. You know, that's a lot better than if we were like, 
You were only, cars, well. yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 Nothing else. So, yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, Andrew, it's been fascinating. It, it really has. Are there any other sort of final points or final places that you think people would be good for people to look or we can just put it in the show notes if that's easier? Yeah, like I say, I feel like the one that I'm missing most is uh, bespoke. Sorry to use the, the pun, but it's bespoke okay. guide for, for parents. Um, but I would... Like off the record and Brooke, they are honestly both they're both great sources of information. Um, I suppose the other one is if if that child is at school, particularly a secondary school, talking to the school, you know, mm-hmm. the year team, um, they will often be able to to guide. And I know that they do responsively uh, guide parents through a lot of the uh, the identity exploration that goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't speak for every school, but I know that. At, at ours they are experts eh? you know they um it's their their day in day out so that's a big source of of knowledge as well um other than that i would just like to go back to that that ethos of everybody has the right to explore their identity that's not really anything to disagree with there i think that's a nice place to start and end definitely well thanks ever so much really appreciate it thank you very very much it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for asking me on that's everything for today thanks for listening if there's something you'd like us to talk about we'd love you to get in touch and let us know find us on facebook and instagram at bespoke family or head to our website the links are in our show notes make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode and please give us a rating or review if you like what you hear We're Bex and Claire, and we'll be back soon with another episode of Newborn to Team and everything in between. See you then.